It's great to see you all this morning. Thank you for giving me and my family that time away. The past couple weeks has been delightful. Thank you to the youth band and uh, to Pastor Jim and everyone who held down the fort while I was out. Thank you all. Uh, What a blessing it is to worship with you and be a part of this family. Uh, I got real excited uh, to pray, so I skipped the scripture reading. So let's do that now. Uh, If you want to read along with me, I would actually invite that. Would you stand with me as we read uh, God's holy word? The Psalms are the the, the hymnal of Israel, the shared playlist of God's people throughout the ages. Uh, We're not going to sing it together. We don't have the melody written down for us. Uh, There are great melodies of it. Uh, The Scottish Psalter, uh, you can listen to it sung in Hebrew. There's all sorts of ways to sing the Psalms, but we're going to read them aloud together, starting in verse 1 of Psalm 1. Read with me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seed of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. Let's pray. Father, bless us today. Come and speak to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer, and we look to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're taking a break from Matthew, turning to the Psalms for this summer. And as we start in the Psalms, we're starting with this gateway psalm. And where does it begin? The very first word in Psalm 1 is blessed. But it's a lighter word for blessed than you find in Genesis 1 and you find in Genesis 12 where the Lord blesses humankind and calls him to bear fruit, multiply, fill the earth where he blesses Abram and sends him, commissions him so that his families would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. This is a lighter word that that can be rendered simply happy. Happy. Happy is this kind of man. So the Bible begins with happiness in the Psalms. How can we be truly happy? What is the pursuit of happiness like according to the Bible? Well, I remember walking across campus at the University of Missouri in Columbia, and by the time I went through about five majors, I was one of those people, I finally settled in the education major, and so my classes tended to be in Townsend Hall, which is over kind of on the, I guess it'd be the the northwest corner, toward the northwest corner of campus. Christina, who I had started dating and was getting to know, She was taking classes to become a human development and family studies major, and her classes were over further to the east on uh, on the other side of campus, on the other side of Memorial Union, which you can see pictured right there. And so many mornings, I would walk really fast, if not run, so that I could just get to that spot where I knew she'd be walking from her apartment at the corner of campus and meet her for just a moment by her building before she went in. And you know, I'm huffing, I'm out of breath, I'm sweaty, but it is worth it to see her there for 30 seconds to surprise her. You know, I'd wait in line and I'd be way late to class and I'd get a Starbucks in, the, in Memorial Union for her and take it to her. 
what a delight it was. You know, you know being to class on time is a good thing. I'm, I, am, I am pro school, pro education. But you know what? Meeting her was so much more interesting. <laughs> and I think about this. I, I had my path laid out for me for my day. It would have been a lot more efficient if I just would have went straight to class, straight back, and scheduled some other time to see her. But it was just so worth it in the middle of the day to go and to be with her. And I think about today, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm, I'm a human being who has a path laid out before me by my obligations, and then by the things that I like and the things that I love. And so my day is set before me, but, but there are all these things that I'll go out of my way to do because they're delights to me. I love to play with my kids, I love to spend time with Christina at the end of a night once the kids are in bed, and I just get to talk with her and hear about her day, and we get to laugh together at an office episode. But then, but then there's God. And he's with me throughout the entire path. And he would bless me throughout the entire path if I would just acknowledge him. Day and night, he's there. But oftentimes, this is me. I'm not talking about you, but you can just consider for yourselves. Oftentimes, I find myself finding delight in much lesser things than God throughout my days. And sometimes I forget that he is there available Always an endless fountain of delight, the fount of every blessing. He's there. What this psalm is doing is it's inviting us to consider there might be a delight to be found in God in the day to day. Now, some of us, we uh, are, are spontaneous people. We don't like uh, ritual and rote. We don't like to follow the same path every day. Maybe you're the kind of person who takes a different path to work every day just because. But even in our path with God, we, we don't like to have a disciplined approach. And so we, we don't like to follow the same path every day, even though throughout the ages, the church of the ages has been blessed as she's gone to meet with God daily, even in a disciplined way, to sustain her through the desert. And then there's even some neighbors who can't imagine possibly finding delight, happiness in God. Going to meet with God sounds terrible to some of our neighbors. You have to realize this. Maybe that's some of you today and you just took a risk. Thank you for being with us or you're online. Thank you. But we have neighbors like Richard Dawkins. They'll, they'll read his books. You know, on the University of Missouri's campus, there'd be lots of people read, reading Richard Dawkins' books. He's one of the new atheists. He wrote a book called The God Delusion. And he has a famous quote in which he speaks of the God of the Old Testament. And be mindful, we are in the Old Testament now. We're in the Older Testament of the scriptures that Christ came to fulfill. And Richard Dawkins speaks of the God of the Old Testament in this way. He says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Tell us what you really think, Rich. You know? But this man is forming the minds and hearts of many people today. Many of our neighbors. What about this? Taking delight in this God, in Dawkins's portrayal of God, no way. <laughs> but is that really what God's like? 
Doesn't seem like that for the psalmist. But we'll consider that together today as we descend into the details and and as I invite you to descend into the details of God's word. Because in Psalm 1, what we're going to find is we're going to find a song, a song sung by God's people that aims to cultivate a wise pursuit of happiness in God. And so how does the Bible portray the pursuit of happiness? It's the pursuit of knowing God and being known by him. The pursuit of knowing God and being known by him. But why delight in knowing God? Let's start there. We're going to ask basically two questions as we think about this pursuit of knowing God and being known by him. First of all, why delight in knowing God? Secondly, how to delight in knowing God? First, we find that the psalmist, uh, they're not going to defend. And, and for the record, David wrote the largest portion of the psalms, King David. But there's, there's several other psalmists as well. There's uh, the sons of Korah. There's Asaph. There's even a song of Moses in there. There's a song by Solomon and some others, and many un, untitled, unnamed, that we don't know who they were by, and that includes Psalm 1. But the psalmists, they assume that God is a delight. They don't go out to prove it because they know him personally. And, and we can find even hints of why they delighted in the Lord here in Psalm 1. So look with me. It says, blessed, verse 1, blessed is the man, the human being, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord. Law. I think today, not many people would take delight in reading the Colorado Book of Revised Statutes. Uh, Is that what we're talking about here, though? No, no, right? Because in, in scripture, this word for law, it's, it's the Hebrew word for Torah. Maybe you've heard that word before, Torah, or sometimes we pronounce it lazily Torah. And so Torah, this is the, the teaching of Moses, those, those five books that begin the Bible. And is it the Colorado Revised Book of Statutes? No. No, it tells of God's dealings with humanity from the very beginning, how he pursued, how he loved his people, redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt, formed them to be his people and a light to the world. They find this Lord in this Torah revealed to them. And this is why oftentimes in in the Hebrew dictionaries and also in your English Bibles, there oftentimes be a footnote that says this word could be rendered teaching or instruction. This is the teaching. This is where we're instructed in who the Lord is and how we find ourselves in his story of grace, how we can walk with him in his world. Now, it was the constitution of God's people. It was law. But it's more than just law in the sense we think of it. Of course, it's, it's historical narratives. It's songs and poetry. It's genealogies telling God's people where they came from, the good and the bad. It's building descriptions. And it's law. Laws for individuals, laws for families, laws for communities, and laws for the whole nation of Israel. Laws that apply to all humankind. And what God's people found in this law, it wasn't the law itself. It wasn't each individual statute or even any individual story. It was what was contained. It's the law of the Lord, the law of Yahweh. Now, as a note, Whenever you see Lord written in all capital letters, right? Whenever you see that in your English Bible, 
that's indicating to you that this is the divine name of the Lord that he revealed to Moses. And it's continuing a, an ancient tradition coming from the third commandment to, to honor the name of the Lord. We pray, hallowed be thy name. The third commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's, a, it's four letters in Hebrew. Uh, it's unpronounceable, really. Uh, but uh, we might pronounce it something like Yahweh or um, some, some folks have pronounced it in the past Jehovah. In any case, in your English Bible, when you see capital L-O-R-D, that's the, the divine name, Yahweh. It, it wasn't the individual laws that they found delightful. It was him ultimately. And he is what gives delight to each individual law and to each story and to each page of scripture. So God's people delight in the law of the Lord. And this is the first clue that we find to how they can delight in the Lord. But secondly, God's people delight in his wisdom for their daily walk. So why delight in the Lord? Because he's, he's better at life than we are. His ways are good and true and reliable. They're sturdy. And God's people had experienced this. You see the, the repetition of the word way here in this psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. The word way can be rendered path or road. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord's way is better than any way they could come up with. Uh, this, this passage is reminiscent of the Lord's marching orders he gave to Joshua. Jim mentioned this briefly last week. The Lord tells Joshua, who's called to take command of God's people, even military command, for the, the conquest that they were called to. And it says in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So if Joshua wondered how on earth he, could he be ready for this task, it's impossible. This is what the Lord tells him. Look to my word. Delight in it day and night. Meditate on it so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it for then you will make your way prosperous. The same word we see occurring here in verse three, in all that he does, he prospers, this blessed man. Then you'll have good success, Joshua. From, from the perspective of the Bible authors, from, from, straight from the Holy Spirit, inspiring them, God's ways are better than ours. He has, a, he has a better plan for humanity. He has a better mission than we could ever come up with, right? And so we look to him and if we walk in his ways, it's a path to prosperity. But note, this is wisdom speak. So when we think of prosperity, you know, we're, we're not thinking of uh, the quickest path to own a luxury fleet of yachts or whatever the ancient Near Eastern equivalent would have been. We're, we're talking about living God's way in God's world, which yields God's best for you. Living God's way in God's world yields God's best for you. This is the way wisdom works. And not only does walking his path lead to prosperity, the real prosperity, the real gift of walking in God's wisdom is that God is there. Look, the very next words that God gave to Joshua, what does the Lord say? He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you on this path. It's, it's like the Lord saying, Meet me by the student union. I'll be there. Come and meet me. But the meeting place is his law. It's his word. 
come, I'll be there. I'll be with you. And as you walk this path, I'll be with you every step of the way when you stumble and when you walk faithfully and when you stumble again, I'll be with you. The Lord's gracious promise. And, and singing Psalm 1, we get to celebrate this fact together. This gets worked into our hearts. And we celebrate the fact that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. We, we, we have the pursuit of happiness laid before us of knowing God and being known by him. Verse six, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This word for knowing that we see there, it's not just intellectual cognitive knowing. He doesn't just know about the path of the righteous. The Lord knows it intimately. It's the path that he walks every single day with his people and has walked through the millennia. He knows it intimately. He's there on it with his people. He's ready to meet you. And so we delight in his wisdom, in his path for our life. Thirdly, so we delight, we find delight in God, in the law of the Lord as the Lord's revealed to us through his word. We find delight in the wisdom and the goodness of his ways. And thirdly, God's people delight in the Lord who meets them in congregational worship. The Lord meets us graciously when we come together as his congregation. Remember that this psalm was a song and still is. It's a song sung by God's people throughout the ages. And so they were aware of one another as they sung it, just as we were aware of one another as we chanted the words together. And as we sang this morning, and as we're even in this room together now, they were aware of one another. They were in this privileged community of the redeemed. They were, they were the community that was known by God and that got to know God and make him known to the world. But this privilege was one they would never want to lose. Because what does it say? The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This psalm sets before us two paths, and there are no other paths. There's a path with God, and there's a part, path apart from God. And Torah taught this reality vividly to God's people. What a privilege it was to be a part of the redeemed congregation. From the very beginning, when they were redeemed in Exodus 14, the Lord brings them out of slavery in Egypt, and they're walking across dry ground where the sea should be. They're walking across the Red Sea. The Lord's parted the waters, and Pharaoh and his armies are chasing them. They're on foot, mind you, and Pharaoh and his armies are, are horses and chariots, spears and swords, ready to kill them and resubdue the rest into slavery. You can imagine the feeling of being there, but then, safe on the other side, the Lord closes the waters. And Moses and the people of God break into song and Miriam dances and everyone's celebrating. Psalms are a response to God's grace and redemption after all. But where are the people opposed to the Lord who walk apart from his path? They're under the water. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. It was a privilege to be a part of this congregation that the Lord came and met he redeemed them, and he gave them constant pictures and reminders of his goodness. They would see this. You know, worship for God's people in the Old Testament was like a really intense barbecue. You know, they had people, you know, you can imagine Uncle Dan brings his bull, 
And, you know, and then cousin Elliot comes along, robed in all these awesome robes, and he just starts eviscerating the thing in front of the whole family. It's hot, it's steamy, it's gross and bloody. But what the people of God saw was that blood was being spilt in their place. Not their blood, but a substitute. And we know from this side of the cross that no blood of bulls or goats could possibly, possibly provide the forgiveness of sins. These were portraits, pictures of the one who was going to come, the true substitute, the great high priest who laid down his life and gave his precious blood for us. God himself came. And they got to see this, experience it, and even taste it because after they slaughtered the bull, they threw a big hunk of meat on the grill and they all ate together, celebrated God's provision. So they celebrated God's presence. And when they were together as a congregation, just like us, they would hear the stories from the law of the Lord. And they would cringe and facepalm as they heard about their fathers and mothers who just totally blew it. And they would cheer together as the faithful actually walked and took small steps of grace following the Lord, obeying his commands. And they would wonder, eyes open wide, at the miracle-working God not only who brought his people out of Egypt, but who could sustain them in the desert with manna, with water from a rock, who could guide them with a pillar of fire by night and with a pillar of cloud by day, the one who could make a, a donkey's mouth open to speak. This God was their God, and he met them in worship when they came together. His glory descended, and they tasted, and they saw that he was good. So why delight in knowing God? Well, the Bible authors and the congregation singing Psalm 1, they're committed to knowing God and his ways as they find him in Torah, and they find him delightful. He makes them happy. <laughs> he himself, the well of happiness. They find his ways good and true and leading to happiness. They find happiness in meeting with him in worship. But... Some of us, some of our neighbors would feel at this moment, honestly, you're just ignoring the elephant in the room. What about Dawkins' bloody ethnic cleanser? What about him? What about the God of the Old Testament? Are, are Christians just so in love with this New Testament God of love that we forget about the Old Testament God of vengeful judgment? Is that the case? For, for someone who reads the scriptures in this way or, or came to this conclusion, the first thing that I would want to say to this dear person would be something like, you know, um, I hear what you're saying, but when I read the scriptures, that's not how I've experienced God, nor is it the way that the people who have read the scriptures throughout the ages experienced God. You know, Professor Dawkins is a really smart guy, but so is Solomon. What if you just took it up, descended into the details, and considered for yourself who this God is? The, the writers of scripture found him lovely. They say crazy things about him. Things like, you know, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. They found God pleasurable. So maybe you're missing something. But the second thing I would want to say to this person as they took a journey into the scriptures is that God is not going to be the God they want him to be when they open up the scriptures. He's going to be the God that he is. And you cannot escape the reality of God's judgment. 
in the scriptures. Even in this very psalm, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. He's a righteous God. And so, whether you're reading in Joshua 7 or Numbers 14, or whether you're reading in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira, or even of Jesus Christ himself when he returns in Revelation 19, 11 and following, and you see the kings of the earth standing against the Lord of the universe, and they regret it, and the blood flows. Because God is a God of righteous judgment. He is just to punish our wrongdoing, our sins, our breaking of his love. He's just to do this. And, and the astounding thing from the Bible's vantage point, the astounding thing is not that God would judge anyone. That's not astounding at all. The, the shocking thing is that he doesn't condemn everyone. That we're not all under his heavy hand of righteous, holy, perfectly wise judgment. That he has made provision for us to have safety with him. And Torah, the law of the Lord, revealed this path to safety. We've already spoken of it. They saw it in each sacrifice. And how much more clearly do we see it now? They knew of the safe path, the way of the righteous. But all of us have failed it, and so did they. But Jesus came, and he is the way. He's the one who truly fulfilled this way for us, who truly delighted in God every moment, fully God, fully man, meditating on the law of the Lord day and night so that he could confound the scribes and the Pharisees even as a boy, so that he came to fulfill all righteousness for us and for our salvation. This is the way. It's Jesus. He's the truth. He's the life. If you would be evergreen, if you would flourish, if your leaf would not wither, would you look to him? Now, even Jesus is not who you want him to be. He's not a big marshmallow in the sky. He's our great God of justice come in flesh to take justice into himself for our wrongdoing and for our sin so that we could be free and have life in his name. What a grace, what a gift. And so, if you can't imagine delighting in God abstractly, or if you can't imagine in delighting in the law of the Lord, could you imagine delighting in Jesus? He after, he, after all, is our law now. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but now I say unto you, and we listen to him first, the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth is given, the one into whose name we're baptized, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and we teach, and I hope we learn to obey all that he's commanded. And we view all of scripture through him. He is our law. He says, as I have loved you, now love one another. We look to him and learn. Could you find him delightful? I would just invite you to look to him. So how does the Bible portray the pursuit of happiness? It's the pursuit of knowing God, being known by him. We, we delight in him as we find him in Torah. We delight in his ways as we walk in them and find them wise and good and true. We delight in life together with, with his congregation as God meets us. But <coughs> how then, how do we take a turn to truly delighting in God? 
How do we find him good in the way that his people can say these amazing things about him? Well, the first thing that I think we need to see is that we're not a camel. I imagine that's very helpful information this morning. You are not a camel. So what does a camel do? So I I look to the all-wise internet, and it says that the camel can guzzle 30 gallons of water in a stop. So, and then it can go 15 days, 15 days without any water through the wilderness. This is the camel. But you are not a camel. You are a desert deer. The Bible speaks of us in this way. This is how the Psalms lead us to to think of ourselves. Psalm 42, verse 1, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You're not a camel. You're a desert deer, and you need every single drop of water that comes across your path. In fact, it's better if you just live next to water, if you plant yourself there. To mix metaphors, you're not a cactus. You are a flower needy flowering, you are a a water needy flowering tree. Remember the blessed man's path, it says, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. How does he stay planted there? Well, he meditates, what? On Sunday morning and then he stops? No, he meditates day and night. His worship doesn't stop on Sunday morning. Rather, for him, worship is is sort of like the batting cages. It's summer, my son's playing baseball. And so he goes to the cages and, and he hits balls, right? He'll hit a bucket of balls. Why does he do this? Because in the game, he's gonna have to hit a few balls, right? And so we're coming here and we're practicing the swings. We're practicing the motions of the Christian life together. We are being called back to God. We're singing his praises. We're confessing our sins to God. We're receiving his gospel assurance together. We're walking in light of that. We're receiving from his word. We're letting it hit our hearts. We're applying it to ourselves. And we're committing ourselves saying, Lord, we'll follow you. Yes, show us. Your law is a lamp into our path. So show us how to follow you this week and what you've shown us. We go out with a benediction, a good word. There's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We walk in that assurance, blessed in Christ Jesus. This is all warming us up for the game, the next 167 hours. And then we come back because we need to hit the cages again because we've forgotten how to swing. So this is what we're doing together. The blessed man meditates day and night, day in, day out in the ordinary moments. Blessed is the congregation whose pastor cuts his sermons effectively. (laughs) But some of us still may say, but I really find all this kind of boring. Honestly, sitting down with my Bible, going alone for a quiet moment and meditating, thinking, running through what God has said. Remember, uh, it doesn't say blessed is the person who completes the 365-day Bible reading program in 365 days. It says, blessed is the human being who meditates day and night, returns to God, drinks up every drop of water. This one flourishes. 
There was, there was once a student, uh, Tish Warren writes of this in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, and, and there was a student in a class with uh, a, a priest who was teaching about the confessions of St. Augustine. Augustine was in love with the Lord. He says amazing things about the Lord. But the student uh, met with this professor to complain about having to read Augustine's confessions and said, it's boring, the student whined. The professor returns to the student and says, no, it's not boring. You're boring. <laughs> Sometimes I can be boring. Sometimes I have a broken sense of what is truly fun. What will fun be like in heaven? The blessed man is preparing for eternal delight and learning to delight in true goodness today, delighting in God. Day in, day out, brushing his teeth, taking a shower, putting his pants on, on the commute, in the ordinary interactions at the gas station and the grocery store, delighting in the Lord, directed by him and his word. So I invite you, as you think about your weeks, to think about your daily liturgy, to think about the worship service of the 167 hours that are before you. And where will you be called back to worship God? Where will you confess sins? Where will you practice the strokes of the Christian life so that you can walk faithfully to the end and flourish evergreen? Take some time and consider that this week, how you can be called back to him and find him delightful. He is eternal happiness, and he's ours. So how does the Bible talk about the pursuit of happiness it talks about the pursuit of knowing God and being known by him. This is our joy, people. I pray you would know it and take hold of it fully. Father, please, Lord, lead us to worship you and delight in you, not just now, but the rest of this day and the many days before we meet again and, and whatever days until you come again or bring us home. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.